Hello, we are the Edgy Futurists. I'm Dan Fitzpatrick. I'm Ben Whitaker. And I'm Stephen Hope. The podcast by educators for educators, the Edgy Futurist Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Edgy Futurist Podcast. It's great to have you with us. Uh, today we are joined by a great friend of the show who's been on a few times now, Louise Jones. And we are, she's also joined by Ola Koivala. Um, so it's great to have you both on. Louise has recently joined Ula and the team at Thinglink. Thinglink is an edtech platform that makes it easy to augment images, videos and virtual tours with additional information and links. Virtual walkthroughs and tours give students access to real-world environments and situations that would otherwise be out of their reach. Interactive 360 uh, images and videos help develop contextualised understanding, academic vocab and skills in remote locations, cultures, work environments or social situations. Over 4 million teachers and students use ThingLink for creative, accessible visual learning experience in the cloud. Ula is the founder and CEO of ThingLink, which we believe is 10 years old this year. Uh, and she was also the winner of the 2018 UNESCO uh, ICT and Education Prize. Uh, Louise is an independent learning technologist and strategist, now works as ThingLink's social purpose and community. That sounds very, very, very important. So we'll get into that today. Uh, but she was also a UK regional manager for Google Education uh, previously. Ula tweets at Ula Maria and Louise at Scotland Louise. The podcast by educators for educators, the Edu Futurist Podcast. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Ula and Louise. Um, it's uh, it's great to have you on the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. <laughs> and so we've got we've got people from different parts of the world. Louise, where, where are you d- today? Because last time we spoke to you, you were on a plane and then running through uh, through uh, customs. Where are you today? I'm actually in the north of Scotland. Um, I'm back in the Cairngorms National Park, Aviemore. So I'm really pleased to be back here. Ben, back you, ben you made that sound really ominous that she was running through customs. Yeah, like, every, everyone, everyone listening is going to be like, she what? stole anything. Was she arrested? Or, 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 or was, uh, <laughs> was trying to smuggle anything into the country? Uh, just, to, just to clear that up. Uh, Ula, are you joining us from the US? Yes, I'm based in Palo Alto in California. I'm, I'm a Finn. So actually, the past three weeks, I've been enjoying the snow in in Finland uh, with, with my parents and kids. But now I'm back in Palo Alto. Very jet lag, though. But but uh, now in, enjoying the sun on this side of the Atlantic. Fantastic. Uh, well, we haven't had any snow yet, um, but um, hopefully it'll come when it's uh, school holidays again, so that we don't get stuck out and have to miss work. Because obviously we all we all love work. Um, so I, I've been uh, playing around with things. It makes, as far as my rudimentary understanding of it, and you guys are getting to it a little bit more. It obviously makes our images that we uh, that we're using, and, and and some of the 360 tours and whatever else, allows it to become more interactive. So I wondered if um, I've not done it justice at all. I wondered if you guys uh, maybe you could talk to us about why it's important uh, and, and and what it's what it's all about. Absolutely, you know. So um, I started ThingLink. As I said, I think ten years ago, and I was uh, I was a PhD student at the University of Helsinki Department of Education, and you know it was a time when the the, the new web took off, and uh, every, every everything was was uh, uh, like suddenly accessible online, and uh, I st- I got very passionate about the idea of. Um, yeah, everything, people and things having identity and everything being connected so that whenever you moved in an env- environment, physical environment or digital environment, you'd be always 
you'd be able to zoom into things and see what they are and where they come from and who they connected uh, to. And so uh, the kind of like the early idea of ThingLink was to start just developing a very easy way to add information to things, anything. And um, and th- then this way it evolved into um, an annotation tool. And, and, you know, first I started sewing NFC stickers on my clothes so that you could touch them with the phone and see where they, you know where they come from, but but then we um, when I uh, uh, started ThingLink as a company, we started building a, a easy editor software platform for anybody could just uh, add links hyperlinks to things in images, and this way an image would become a, a learning environment the same way as a physical environment. So it's it's really like comes down to the idea that. We learn in, in interaction in, uh, in our environment and that environment can be physical or digital. And, and did, the, did the prize come from, from Thinglink itself or is that pre in terms of the UNESCO prize? Is that attached to yourself? Well, yeah, so, um, so then Thinglink evolved. Uh, we, we added a lot more features. We add, first, we just supported regular images, then we supported videos, then 360 images and the 360 videos. And one of the recent developments has been making it um, just like very easy to just press a button, add your voice on images. And I think one of the um, things that the UNESCO uh, 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 board um, uh, judges that what they liked is that, that it it does help teachers create materials in several languages. And also it helps students, even those who can't read uh, or write the traditional way, they can record their voice, they can record their um, uh, ideas on an image using their cell phone. So it just makes it, uh, it's, it's makes it much easier to express yourself because you have more than one way uh, to express yourself in, in traditional education. Cool. So I, I think the... Uh, by the way, my mic's just changed. Just, just so you know, I just changed it. So, it, when, when you when you got into this, what was what was the kind of um, the problem that you were trying to solve? Was it was it was it based around that level of accessibility, or was it more around the uh, was it about the fact that our learning style is that interactive thing that you were talking about? Do you think that's do you think that's in the important element? Because obviously, it's it's cool to hear something that's been su- as successful as what you're doing, like the motivation that that went behind it. Right, right. Well, the um, kind of like a, a, a universal problem, uh, whether you are in, in school or, or maybe or university or at workplace, uh, kind of like a universal, not, maybe not a problem, but in some cases a problem, but challenge is that uh, how can you reach those real world environments that you're learning about? And uh, schools don't necessarily have resources, like field trips are expensive. Uh, in some cases, schools don't even physical. The, the facilities are not adequate. Uh, kids can't go to school. They can't reach school. So, it, so the, the kind of problem that we were solving or what we were trying to create is is um, is uh, bring the real world uh, in the cloud or, or or let teachers bring the real world in the cloud that could be accessible on any any device, even if you could not physically access that space. So that was that was one of the kind of like big ideas. The other one was that, you know, and we talk a lot about experience. We talk about immersive learning. And just wanted to point out that the the reason why the, the contextual experience is important is that 
when you when you get to see things at the same time where you can hear things you your brain is just wired very, very differently as opposed to you reading about it. So that's a sequential process when you're reading about something, but when you, when you can experience and maybe then read at the same time, it, you just take things in uh, via multiple channels. So it's much more efficient than, than reading. So, um, and there are a lot of students with accessibility requirements, so this definitely helps them to grasp and, and, and experience uh, uh, the, the topics you're learning about. And I think that's, I know that Louise is, is hugely passionate about accessibility. Uh, we've had loads of conversations about that. So that was the reason, I suppose, the motivation around it, because we, we, we're really passionate as well that, that, that learning is more, um, more than just, it's not about a tool. And it's certainly not just about um, a method that everybody must learn in a certain way. So the fact that you can ha- allow students and and different people to be able to learn in a, in a, in a multimedia way, because this is true multimedia, isn't it? That's exactly. that, that's that's the element uh, that, that we're here. It's not just media. Yeah, so that's cool. So, um, uh, so, so Louise, uh, you're involved at, at ThingLink now, um, and, and we, were, we were. It was great to see that. And, and the title. Let me just let me just make sure I say it properly again. Social purpose and community manager. That sounds like I said it. It sounds very <laughs> um, important and and, and tra- like it's got gravitas. What does that What does that mean? Oh well, firstly, thank you for inviting us on. It's a pleasure to be back speaking to you. Um, there's actually quite a nice story behind this. Um, and as you know, I left Google and started to work independently again um, as I was uh, travelling around and spending some time in Denmark. And parallel to that, I was really interested in how we could take things to a new level um, with images and and that was partly because I'd been doing the work with the visual CVs which was hugely popular and one of the standout examples that I've been showcasing and that was the learner journeys that were created using Google Sites and like an e-portfolio a learner journey and then how that advanced was that pupils created a visual CV and they can do that using Canva or they could do that using Google Slides or drawings and what that was is it wasn't a CV it was really just a method and a way for young people to visualize their skill sets because they developed those visual CVs through discussions with their guidance teachers or their careers advisors and those CVs were bright and colorful and were an aid memoir or at all so that if they went for an interview they would be able to talk about their skill sets but also it helped them to plan their senior phase pathways so I looked at these wonderful kind of CVs and I thought do you know what would it be really cool if you could just click on that and it actually had the young person's story they narrated that or they added in further images or further videos um, so that was the, that was one idea that I had about how we could take that to a new level. And then the other thing that I saw that was happening across Scotland particularly is that when a school was having an inspection, the Education Scotland team were producing a sketch note of the inspection report. So they had these sketch notes popping up all over Scotland. And I thought, that's really quite good. They've cottoned on to sketch notes. You know, they're great for kind of summarizing a presentation that you might have seen at a conference. But actually, if you've not been part of that process, a sketch note can just seem quite cluttered. It can seem quite visually kind of difficult to, to unpick. And I thought, wouldn't it be good if you could have that sketch note 
and then have young people's voices embedded into it, talking about how passionately they loved their school. And parents and carers could see that as well. And I started looking at um, tools that could enable us to do that. And I'd used ThingLink quite a number of years ago and then jumped on it again. And Tom Mullaney actually had done some work with ThingLink um, showcasing Jamboard. And I looked at ThingLink and I was just like, this is just so more advanced than it used to be. And I was so impressed. And I then had this idea about how we could start to build user case studies and grow this across Scotland of taking these sketch notes, taking these visual CVs to a new level. And I contacted ThingLink just on their contact form and uh, just said, oh, hi, I'm Louise. I'm, I've just left Google. I'm just really interested to hear if you've got anybody in the area. And uh, Ulla got in touch with me. And after a few meetings, um, we decided to start working together. And my passion has always been about growing a, the, the social purpose, the benefit. What's, what's the good of the ed tech for the community, not just the young person, not just the educator, but the whole school community? And I can see so many good spin-offs that happen as a result of parents seeing you know, their school come to life with accessible tools. And um, that's how the job evolved into really showcasing the examples where it has social purpose and benefit to the community, but also the, the community of practice. Because as you know, and you've been yourselves involved in, whether it's PD partners or grassroots communities, but that's where you see educators really getting the experience of sharing practice. And, and that's what I've always been about. I've not, I'm not particularly a salesperson. I'm, I'm more about the benefit of, of ed tech. So that's what the role is. And I'm really pleased to have been producing case studies and uses of ThingLink that we're going to be showcasing at BET and then also growing this community of people using it. And uh, hopefully that will grow over this forthcoming year. So that's quite a, a long explanation, really. But hopefully that illustrates that quite nicely. Yeah, I think it does. I think it does. Could we, uh, could we maybe get into, you know, you just mentioned how you're going to be showcasing some case studies. Uh, and I guess people listening to that who listen to this who won't be able to get to bet and and really interested in thing then could you would you be able to share um some highlights of of kind of what how people are using ThingLink and and how it's impacting them. Is is, is this how it's going to go um, every week, Dan? Now you can't go to bet that you're going to just ask for people rather than going down there. They just go, can you just tell us a bit about yourself, make some notes, and then, and then play it back with the score. I don't need Steve. I don't need to go. I just I just, I just, I just, I just need to get just in contact get, just with everyone. To, bring bet to us. <laughs> um, yeah. So I've got some case studies that I've written up. There's been some that are kind of shorter case studies that we've pulled together particularly for BET and there's some that are slow burners because this is about process not product and or process over product but the first one um, and and when I joined the team at ThingLink we hadn't announced our collaboration and strategic partnership with Class VR um, and what we wanted to do was to see if we could bring collaboration as part of that process into an immersive learning experience with VR headsets. So the first experience that I've been working on is with Stuart Melville School, um, which is a school that's 150 years old in Edinburgh. And it looks like Harry Potter. It really does. <laughs> and the school has a real family feel. So they have 
former pupils that are now octogenarians, they're 80 years old, they can't physically get around the school. And there's still artifacts in the school that they created um, and World War II artifacts like scrap, scrapbooks that the, that the pupils created at the time. So the school, um, through a project with the e-learning coordinator, um, Simon Lutzard-Moore, we started to create virtual tour of the school. The pupils led it completely. They created eight 360 images. And then they researched and they collaborated on certain scenes and brought in those artifacts that I've just mentioned and brought them to life. So there's a whole 360 tour of the school, but then they've put it on the headsets to share with former pupils. So it triggers their memories of when they were at school. And these are former pupils that are now over 80 years old. So it's helping them to remember their school days. But the point is, is that those pupils have collaborated on bringing it together. So there's an official version, which is the, the kind of school version, which is gonna be on their website, which has got the videos embedded and it even features the school ghost. There is there are two school ghosts and right. <laughs> the pupils were very excited about this and that there is a, a very um, there's a story about the school ghosts so they've even managed to work that into it so that's a really nice example where actually the, the process has been important but the VR headsets just bring a whole new dimension to it um, and then the other Louise. sorry and Louise you know I just wanted to say I think this is such a beautiful example of um, uh, a student-led like project-based learning and this is typically I think there are typically two two kinds of uh, Thingling pr projects or where Thingling is involved one could be it's more about the exploration and really like taking students to a place that they couldn't access otherwise and it might be uh, a tour that teachers created or uh, it is about learning the digital skills and connecting with the cultural heritage and really lead, led, letting uh, students lead the process and this is a perfect example of a student-led uh, pro uh, process. Absolutely and of course there's there's outcomes there when you think about that around digital literacy and social science and research skills but also that real um, connection um, with their their school and yeah as Zula said their, their cultural identity. There's two more case studies I want to mention and one I'll pass over to Ula to talk about which is just phenomenal work which is looking at workplace skills and um, TVET which is the uh, technology and vocational education training aspect which has recently been highlighted um, at a, by UNESCO um, but the first is the second one sorry is just where a school has produced um, a, a policy around behavior and the behavior policy um, has been developed with the children's parliament and it's a policy that says this is the kind of behavior that we expect in school but it's also for parents to say this is the kind of expectations we have of parents and why and this was a beautiful poster but some parents struggle to read it because of their language differences or just cultural differences and understanding the terminology so the pupils have brought that poster to life with their own narratives and it's also got immersive reader built into it so the text then is automatically clicked and it can be translated into any language picture dictionaries I mean, all Thinglinks have got the immersive reader built into them. But that, I think, is just a really nice example. Um, there'll be more, but I'm not going to spoil it because we'll have these all on a website. But Ula can tell you much more about the, the Finnish TVET example. Sure. And, uh, and you know, like I wanted to uh, 
point out that like these case ac- examples, all all of them, they're trying to solve like a practical problem, and 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 that might be related to accessibility. Many times it's related to accessibility, but what we're seeing um, when we talk with teachers, and we really think we develop ThingLink with teachers that we have very uh, close and 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 wonderful community, and we get feedback all the time, and and um, and one of the the problems that we hear often about is a teacher might have students from several language groups in the same classroom. And and um, this is definitely a problem in English-speaking countries, but imagine having um, the same situation in Finland. Like, nobody speaks Finnish. If you dropped uh, to a Finnish classroom as a new student, like, you have, you have it, it, it's, you can't really learn the language in a month or even two months. And it's really difficult to engage these uh, students so what do you do and so um, teachers are looking for new tools where they would be able to create when they create the materials they would really appreciate the fact that those materials are automatically accessible in multiple languages and we've seen uh, first uh, examples coming out where teachers have used the immersive reader functionality and and the students they, they light up when they understand like Oh, I can actually read these same materials, and I can also respond in my own language. A teacher can use the immersive reader to read the students' answers, and so I think we're like stepping into a, a new area where technology like this can can truly help solve some daily problems—problems problems that teachers face every day due to lack of resources or um, uh, for any reason. I think I think there's um, there's. You don't need me to tell you. There's obviously all the scopes that, that they scores as well. And I've seen. I really liked the um, the Arsenal Football Club one, the player introductions ones. And I think, well, as a as a, as a football fan, and I know it might be a bit sore at the moment because uh, Arsenal beat Steve's team Leeds um, this week. But but the whole concept around um, my passion is a lot of the time has been around engaging boys in learning and uh, yeah. making making things. And I, I look at something like that and the fact that they're yeah. not just reading, yeah. but they are they're reading about something that they care about and it's interactive and they can listen to some to videos of when uh, uh, one of the footballers has done some trick or whatever else. You think that is that is bringing it to life for them, isn't it? It is, and and you know, and and to your point. Uh, they can read, but then they can also produce in all those different media. And and you know, I had um, I had like a uh, like crash course in digital storytelling with fifth graders here, and I see especially how boys how they they they're suddenly very proud because they realize like, hey, we we have these expert skills that not even our teacher has. And for example, I gave them a choice to be they could choose if they want to be video experts, sound experts. Uh, 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 narrators or if they want to write the text and a lot of the boys they wanted to be video experts and or sound experts they're really good and then they had this you know expertise at, uh, at this role and they were able to just produce wonderful uh, additions to the, the tour and then when the students saw the the ready tour together and it was beautifully produced it was really um, professional level and they were so proud of themselves so I think it really does um, you know, open up new opportunities for them also to feel really good about them and and, and understand the skills that they have can be used uh, in various ways. And, and, and from a point of view in terms of ESOL, um, education is, is massively significant. We have one of the biggest ESOL provisions uh, as a college in, in the UK. And I'm just thinking, 
we have students with differentiated. So we have 14, 16-year-old ESOL students, yeah. 16 to 18, and then obviously the adults, that yes, the end goal is to develop their English skills, but when they first come to us, being able to use a tool like this and be able to differentiate really simply and, and engage them in learning right from the outset without focusing on the basics and the fundamentals is, is, is key. And, and, and I'm definitely going to go in and, 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 and explore more, I think. And, and even like how uh, students are very different how, how in, in the ways they want to express themselves. And I, what one tiny little beautiful story is when one student said he was in the audio group and, and, uh, and he said, well, you know, you can write a post-it, you can write a little narration, a post-it note, and you can just record your voice. And he's like, I don't really know what to say. And I, I don't, I don't really like to write. Can I just sing this? Can I just like sing an introduction to this photo? I'm like, absolutely, you can sing an introduction. And he sang beautifully. Like <laughs> we were all in tears when we were listening to that, but it was a beautiful moment. It's, it's only a problem if they're an absolute shocker at singing, and you're just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You can sing. Oh no, no, no. You can stop now. I don't know, I don't know. Bad singing is is bad singing in any language. I think. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. When you go on X Factor, sometimes they tell you, don't they? That's the first time they've ever been told that they can't sing. So well. Steve, maybe you've maybe you've still got a career in this. Yeah, definitely. Nobody wants to hear that. You can always re-record, by the way. It's very easy to replace <laughs> somebody else to record for you. <laughs> no, that's, that's cool. I think I think some of the some of the principles of ThingLink are uh, important for us as well, and we know that the the tool is. The, is, is broadly the difference it's going to make and is making is. Uh, I think I don't think it can be underestimated in terms of what it's going to do for students who might not have had a voice previously, um, getting a voice, and then also that creativity and allowing that multiple different layers of learning. And I think I understand when when Louise talks about being really excited about partnering with ThingLink, I, I, I do get it, um, and I understand where you're going with that. And I think, but there's there's a lot of principles that you've that you've embedded into what you do at ThingLink that I think there there is. There is scope for us to 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 explore, uh, and I think our listeners will be really key uh, keen to hear about uh, some of the things around social capital and 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 that kind of stuff, and not just being around product and and a product. And and, and I know that uh, Louise mentioned uh, earlier about process over product and and all that kind of stuff, but I think it's I think it's important that we that w- that we address that kind of stuff because I I know what I'm like. I see a shiny new toy or I find a new tool and whatever yeah. else, and I think, let's just go into it. Or because I use Google things, I've got to be loyal to Google because and I, I fight against everything else. Uh, and and it's it's not always – it's sometimes misguided, and I want to yeah. kind of maybe get into some of that if that's okay. Well, absolutely. And this kind of com- comes back to your question, like, what does it mean for Louis to be a social purpose, man- purpose manager? Uh, should – uh, technology company have social purpose. We think that yes, and we are all very passionate, and we're we're definitely doing this. We're all idealists, and and uh, you know try to work for a better future in that way. But it might, might sound naive, but still, I think that's that's really key because uh, things are, things always take longer than you than you'd like, or they're harder, and uh, you really have to have something that you passionately passionately believe in and uh you have to have a purpose so then you <laughs> keep on building and you know doing it even if sometimes it was hard but um but but back to but the point is um and kind of like the principles you know recently i started thinking um 
you know, I thought a lot about the concept of flipped classroom, and that became really popular in the past years, and a lot of, a lot of teachers are excited about that. And 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 I was wondering, like, what's the next stage or phase for flipped classroom? And I've been thinking maybe it's really like the the flipped school, because what we we used to think that school is still a physical building somewhere. Attend, uh, attending to school means you have to actually go there. But what if we flip the idea around and we we think that uh, the that the the cloud is the home base for school? That school is is in the cloud and the physical spaces, the different kind of physical facilities, then can support the programs in the school. And I, I feel like you know we are bound to start thinking about this way: uh, school in the cloud if we want to find more flexible uh, arrangements also for the physical facilities, maybe it's not always a, a school building where uh, teaching and learning happens. Maybe it can uh, be a blended uh, a combination of different, using different kinds of spaces in the future. So I think like this is, is, is one of the things, and I know that there's a lot of uh, uh, discussion around it and, and, uh, and especially related to cost saving, it sounds terrible. Like, does it does this mean that teachers will never, you know, students will never see their teachers anymore, and everything is virtual and everything is in the cloud? But, but I, I think we can think about the opportunities in a positive way and think where we could actually increase students' time with the teacher in the virtual environments. For example, a lot of the introductions to certain subjects and uh, and just like basic. Um, you know, learning the basic vocabulary and 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 uh, orientation can definitely be done virtually. And then uh, when we when we're with our teacher one on one, let's save that time then for the meaningful interaction for the personal building the personalized learning path and supporting the students. So this way we can actually have more quality time with the students when we're with them and uh and 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 we don't what we don't want to happen and you know like this is kind of like related to virtual virtual reality what we don't want to happen is that teachers have to spend their precious time setting up devices vr headsets and figuring out how to get 30 students on a vr headset at the same time necessarily uh it you know if it's difficult so we that's like one of the principles that we we want to save the time where we can and 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 kind of like improve the quality of learning by providing more uh, environments and experiences for students so that they can learn better and 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 hopefully faster faster in in some ways and then uh, think about the the interaction and the the, the the time with teachers maybe in different physical settings um, uh, and but but I think like this is like one of the big things when we're thinking education the future like where are schools going uh, cl the concept of cloud-based school. I mean, we're almost already there. Like we, we're using Google Classroom, we're using um, Teams or whatever we, we're using for, for our classroom. But uh, I, I still feel like even going to some of the uh, conferences about the future TVET, uh, technical and vocational education, all the reports are saying, oh, we should, we should uh, invest more in uh, supporting online materials. But what if we thought that all national TVET programs should exist in the cloud. They should be uh, accessible in the cloud. Uh, you know, so that's a different way of thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think it's that thing, isn't it, that that online learning 
is a, is a term, but actually there's no online worker. There's a cloud worker. Why is it not a cloud student, a right. cloud learner? Right. That actually that that whole in terms of remoteness, remote. So Finland, right. from where you're from, Louise, Absolutely. I know that there's a demographic in Scotland in terms of some of the rural and even further afield globally that some of those students can't get access to quality learning. So actually what you have is a fixed space that exists where the educators go to, but actually the cloud learners dial in. And actually that's, yeah, it's cost saving, but it's actually cost saving that the fact that you might be giving them a device or a headset or something to access, sending it out, it's saving money in that respect, but actually buildings still exist where students and staff do go through the process if it's needed, like a creative morning or a created afternoon and and i think it, that has to start that you don't yeah. always have to be there and it's not yeah. about saving money it's about actually improving the quality of education and learning for those students and the real reason is that's your why not saving money when exactly. when i think about my own learning now i've stopped my formal learning i don't go to a university i might go and do a master's i might go and do a phd one day one day you might call me professor ben very unlikely. But uh, the, the truth is, is that I don't have to do, uh, I don't have to stop learning. Uh, my learning continues. I do online courses all the time, listen to webinars. It, it, I'm, I'm doing it that way. And so why why do we think that maybe, and I, I, it's, it is interesting because there is that social aspect of school that is still really important. It's not saying we do it totally, do we? I don't think anybody's saying let's shut down schools and do it all in the cloud. But I think there is a, there is a need to do something different, isn't there? Definitely. Yes, absolutely. And you've kind of summarised that, but also well, we need to add the importance of relationships, so building relationships with people around us and the important skills around Louise, can we stop you? Uh, you yeah. your, your mic's um, giving a buzz and sound when you're talking. Oh, is it working now? No, uh, no. No, okay, I'll pull it out. Okay. Tell me now. Yeah, that's yep. great. Yeah, yeah. So, um, sorry, it's a new mic as well. So, yeah, just about the importance of having relationships and love and obviously working in Scotland, we've got really small schools that you might only have four people in the school or a really small community. Um, so having that model where they can still access some of those really important courses that other bigger schools and cities can offer and then being able to focus on their community and their relationships and skills and all those kinds of important things there. So I think it, from a learner point of view, it's a beneficial for them. I, I think that we have a, a, a recruitment and a, and a retention, uh, especially in the UK issue with with our teachers. And actually, and then there's also the element of um, that regardless, where, depending where you live in the UK, it depends on the quality of your education. And actually, that shouldn't be that you should be able to tap into quality education. That if you're in Leeds and there's an amazing teacher in in, in, the, in, in any well, Ben. Don't, don't toot your own horn. We know that's not true. But anywhere, <laughs> that if, if I want to get some education from Dan, because he's a specialist and he's the person I want to learn from, it shouldn't be about my demographic, my background, or anything else. Absolutely. I want to bring learning to life, regardless of where I'm from and what my background is. And Preach it, brother. Be, it should be accessible <laughs> to all. It, I'm going to get on my soapbox because I, I, I think it's so important. It is That's the why. The why is not money. The why is actually to give people a quality of education and learning is learning. We are now, I'm learning lots sitting in here. There's no educator in the room. There's no, that, that, that terminology teacher that actually we're learning from each other through conversation. 
and through different means. And I think I think that's what we need to kind of break, break the dynamic of that. It's not just this fixed thing that we've had set for hundreds yeah. of years. It's a new. It's a different thing about asking questions and facilitating learning, learning from each other through collaboration. And this is a big change that, and I'm I'm curious to see that uh, which country or which region or which which school really embraces this idea first and say like we we established this school as a cloud-based school and we are going to use these and these and these kind of physical facilities all over the place in the world uh, for our students so that they get you know great experiences in in you know in real world environments and with real experts and all that so i think there are a lot of lot of possibilities and it introduces a new kind of flexibility in the education system that's absolutely needed uh, we're struggling with not having enough teachers there is 70 according to this report by unesco we need 70 million new teachers in the next 10 years and uh, how we're going to train them and also we need to introduce new ways for for training teachers and for schools and you know also um and i was listening to one of one of the other episodes uh, where we talk about uh, the sustainable development goals and i think it's absolutely necessary for um so, so that the sustainable development goals would become meaningful for students um it's it's absolutely necessary that they have a new kind of mobility like virtual mobility that they can try And, and uh, they can travel through time and space and they can go to different contexts so they understand uh, challenges in different parts of the world. They can connect with uh, uh, students from other parts of the world. So this, uh, and, and I don't know if this is the right kind of concept, but I've been talking about virtual mobility. Uh, I think that's another concept we need to introduce in order to grasp this and understand these big global issues. It's really interesting because it kind of, I don't know, it was probably about 10 years ago now, you know, with the whole iTunes U um, and trying to get, trying to, I guess like what we're saying really, trying to get kind of world-class courses um, for free to, to people all over the world. Um, but I think what we're talking about now is it's is, is going beyond that, isn't it? It's kind of, it's more, it's formalising that and, and not just having that one-way stream of here's some content, listen to it and take away what you want from it, but actually how do we then how would we assess within a cloud school how would we give yeah. feedback how would we how would we continue to to create a community in an environment where somebody isn't actually physically there um yeah uh, yeah just i'm just sharing my thoughts i think it's uh, it's, uh, it's really it's really interesting and it's really nice the example which has been published on a thinglink blog um shows another development which is coming um at the moment it's conceptual but it's taken a series of thinglinks together to build a virtual course and it shows the student who's going through a business meeting with a business advisor and the videos enable the person watching it to integrate with a chatbot and ask questions and the tutor can program the chatbot to actually then record which answers are given so you're actually using it as an assessment tool as the student is going through and this has been used in seven schools in Saudi Arabia um, to help uh, young women and also remote learners to develop entrepreneurial skills and this is one of the case studies which is evolving and um, which we showcased at a conference a, a UNESCO conference in Bonn um, I was uh, 
there uh, a few weeks ago, um, and the feedback's just been great from the from the people participating. So these are the kinds of things that I think you'll see develop in ThingLink um, to build this notion of social purpose, transcendent uses where the technology is absolutely having um, an importance for good and for, and for benefit, and that's where the social purpose aspect comes into it as well. And so, you know, Stephen, or was it Ben? You 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 said a one key word assessment, and uh, and I feel like that's one of the hot topics. It's going to be one of the hot topics, and we should be talking about often because um, it can obviously go very wrong. Uh, assessment online can be something that we we really don't want it to be, and I feel feel like all teachers need to. Um, you know, like kind of keep their ears open and and like openly talk about like what what can it be what should be you know who should it help like should it help the students <laughs> reflect you know? and and uh, and and we we're trying to you know um, we try we're trying something that we are going to provide teachers a way to kind of customize a chatbot or customize questions that they can input questions and that you know pop up in the midst of a virtual tour and this way. Maybe they can help, you know, you know, students to, you know, pay attention to certain things or just like let students reflect in the middle of a, a virtual tour or something. But um, but I feel like th this is like one of the topics for this year uh, that we um, there, there are a lot of options. There are a lot of examples when we should we should be gathering case studies about the different uses of data, a different uh practice assessment <laughs> so so i'm getting a little bit fizzy here thinking about something um so i have um i have some um some learners that are attached to some of my uh, assessors in, in the college that i'm at who um we do something called an endpoint assessment um which as part of their apprenticeship and so they have to create like a, uh, a summative portfolio of their work And I was thinking to myself, like, uh, what happens is they then submit that to an assessor and the assessor interviews them for up to two hours, usually remotely, about their um, uh, about their portfolio and about their exams and about their learning and about their work and apprenticeship, which I think is, is beautiful because generally uh, an exam, they, they write down everything they know and there's no way to put any context to any of it. There's no way to explain what else they would have said if they had more time and all that kind of stuff. And, and I, I wonder whether there is a, a scope for assessment, even if it's formative, ongoing, but or, or, or summative, that there is that level of conversation. And I think that's what we're talking about here, isn't it, in terms of chatbots and whatever else. There's a conversation because learners sometimes just need a prompt and then they can go off on something. And you're thinking, I did not know they knew that. Um, I was talking to my children. I've got a, a five-year-old and a nine-year-old. And my uh, five-year-old was explaining to me what imagination is because that's the word of the week in their school so she tells me she tells me that imagination is the word and i said to what what is imagination is and she starts talking to me about it and then she starts talking to her about unicorns and i thought where, where did that where did that come from it just came from one discussion about the word of the week which is which is which is powerful isn't it absolutely yeah there, there i got all fizzy uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, i'll calm down now i'll calm down and 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 you know what like the We, we all talk about like for the past two, three years, like everybody, every blogger remembers to uh, remind uh, us about the 21st century learning goals and, you know, collaboration, communication, all that. They're everywhere. But uh, if, if we think like how can you develop those skills online if, if you're not physically in the same place, like that's also something we have to think about. And, 
and we have to give students the, the ability to reflect what they what they observe and you know like uh, and like share their thoughts and there is and you know get used to the idea there is not one uh, answer that's right or wrong and so it's not going to be multiple choice questions necessarily it's going to be something else and then we just have to figure out maybe also more automated ways to um, you know, make sense or figure out, uh, uh, like sort out the, the answers and, and then ways to help students. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it feels like we've been, um, we keep going on about uh, this, maybe we should start our own school. Maybe we should start our own school. Uh, maybe, maybe we should, all these things that we keep talking about, this theory, we should do it. Maybe maybe that's what it is. Maybe it is. An edgy, Dan, Dan will probably call an edgy futurist school in the cloud. Yeah, sounds good. But, You're going to be the first one. Yes. Yeah. Um, the edgy futurist school in the cloud will bring edtech harmony across all of the platforms as well. That's beautiful. What? Oh, there it is. So she's plugged this. She wants to talk about edtech harmony. What? 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 Talk to us because well, I, I think let's that's. Let's that's sidestep that. She's definitely tried to tee us up with that one. Let's let's sidestep that one. Drop that mic. I think I'm really lucky because now I'm working with ThingLink and I'm, you know, I still wear my colours on my chest. You know, I, I always, you know, say say what I'm about. Are um, they blue, green, yellow and red? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I have um, worked with Google, but I've also worked in the public sector and I've worked independently for a number of ed tech providers now. Um, but what I really love about ThingLink is that it plays nicely with everything. It's partnering with Google, it's partnering with Microsoft, it's partnering with ClassVR, and it really is loved by everybody. And this has got me thinking about what some of the goals I would like to see are for 2020, particularly um, in education and ed tech. And that is kind of ed tech harmony where people um, are willing to explore and look at how all of the tools can be used for learning and teaching and, and not pin their colors to one particular type of technology like they do a football club. You know, I think, you know, if we're denying young people access to one particular product, we're doing them an injustice and a disservice and we really should be focusing on edtech harmony because teachers will want to have a toolbox with the best of what they want to be able to use and and, and if those decisions are being made by one particular person because of their particular um brand love or allegiance to something I think that's where I, I've seen that as a stumbling block in the past and I think now it's a time that there's enough division um, around that actually we now need to be thinking seriously about having a tech harmony across the piece um, yeah that's my soapbox over and you know that that's something that I've, I've been quite passionate about recently okay yeah, I, I, yeah I, I think the the whole thing is that it, it should be a student focus, and 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 I've said it before. What what is the why? That if you are going to be just looking at one product, actually, is that really giving the true beneficial reason? Is the reason that somebody's uh, a teacher is bringing another piece of tech in? Is that because they prefer that, or actually, is it going to add benefit to, to the students? And it should be about what the student focus is and how that will develop them, rather than one person's choice or the fact that I prefer this and I want to use this because. Um, because I've always used it, I think is is the worst thing I've ever heard. 
Yeah. And if you're thinking about student-centred learning, Anula and I were talking about this before we came on the call. Um, you know, when we look at some some of our colleagues in the ThingLink team who are teachers and the way that they operate in terms of allowing and enabling students to choose the tools that they want to present with, whether it be any kind of medium. And, and I think that, you know, we need to make sure that young people are having access to a range of tools to be able to do that and not just choosing a tool because that's what we think that might be using in the future in their career um actually you know thinking about the here and now and managing the here and now and skills for what they're using in their personal life and in their learning and what they might be using in their professional life here, here. Yes, that's, that's one of the uh, um, uh kind of um objectives that students can choose the the tools for <laughs> that they think that are appropriate for any problem or challenge they're solving. So definitely, like they, if if they're making a presentation and and uh, some might want to do just traditional slides, some might want to do a virtual tour. They should have that choice. Yeah, agreed. I think it does bring us into an area that. Um, we, we were talking about we talked about it very briefly when we chatted when you were in the airport, Louise, and and that being um, <laughs> the terminal we called that episode. Uh, just the the fact that I know you, we we're talking about edtech harmony, but I guess the question that goes with that as well is: are are all edtech tools created equally? Uh, should we should we just give our trust and our let's let's face it, our data just to any um, edtech tool that wants it? Well, it's interesting because um, to explain, my plane was delayed and I had an appointment with you and a meeting set up with you <laughs> and I was stuck on the plane and calling into the meeting and we decided to reschedule it, but we did get to talk for a little bit as I was running through customs. I wasn't being held by customs. Um but I was talking, uh, I've, been, I've talked at a couple of e-safety conferences recently, um, one with the European Schoolnet Academy and another uh, conference which was organised by Ty Goddard and um, Ian Phillips. And I was asked to speak about kind of the future of e-safety and I focused really on criticality and accountability. And the critical side of it was not just about encouraging critical thinking skills for the students, but also the responsibility of educators to be really critical about the ed tech that they use. And if something is free, it might be on the surface look like a great idea because it's free, but we really need to go behind why something is free. Is it freemium because there's adverts and it's behind a paywall and then you have to pay to remove those adverts? Is it free because your data is being used in other ways? Is it a philanthropic type of free product? Um, and what's being what the data is being used for? And I think that GDPR is a good thing that's tried to bring this to the surface um, but it probably doesn't go far enough in examining really and truly why things are free. And I think that teachers, um, some teachers for, for, for a long time have thought that they can't, shouldn't really pay for a product that's being used in education. But actually, running a tech's not cheap. And there's a reason why it's free. Um, you know, there's all the service to pay for. And of course, you know, those costs will be passed on to the users. So just a plea for me, really, to say, you know, if you are going to use a free type of tool, have a think about why it's free. Um, and if it is, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, for also for developers, <clears throat> Uh, like all developers 
are uh, trying to respond to different a set of requirements. And now when uh, you're not, you know, only selling teachers, you're selling to universities or bigger schools and districts, uh, you definitely first, you know, you're going to have a long meeting with the the IT department and, and, and uh, you know, uh, read their contracts and there are a lot of requirements. But one of the requirements that we've seen recently, and it's a, it's a fair requirement, is uh, that um, EdTech should... Uh, support lifelong learning and if you create content on one platform you should be able to take that content and data with you when you uh, move on and you maybe you start working you go to another school and it's a it's a it definitely like it's a challenge for developers but it's a very fair request that I think we have to fulfill. And I think people are using a lot of products in their own personal lives. And of course, they will be, you know, subject to adverts and their data might be used for different purposes, marketing purposes. And I think people get so used to being able to use their products in their personal lives for free because they are being used in that way that they kind of think that things should be free in an educational setting, particularly as it's being used for young people. But then, you know, we should say that's actually even more of a reason to be using properly adjudicated paid software because it is for young people and it is for their learning. And actually, you know, if it is free, then we need to understand why it's free. So I guess I was trying to bring criticality into a new perspective by thinking about criticality of skills by educators as well. I think that's really. I think it is really important. There is, uh, uh, from a from a performance point of view, there's nothing wrong with saying that that some things are um, more useful for you and 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 than others. There's nothing wrong with that, is there? But I think you're right in terms of understanding motive and uh, looking looking beyond the fact that it's free. Um, we, we, we need we need to have a look at what what that the cost of that freeness because there is a cost isn't there it's going to cost somebody somewhere yeah Yeah. and i mean there are some phenomenal free products out there scratch is a great example so scratch as you know comes from mit um, and that's actually funded by a range of um foundations corporate foundations and charitable organizations and so you know that that's there because it's got a social purpose and i know that free version of ThingLink is there because obviously it's um, a philanthropic element because ThingLink does have a paid version, but also it's being used by marketing. Arsenal Football Club's a great example there. Um, I know that the Daily Mail have used it and other big organisations, so it means that it's being able to be offered on that free basis. And yeah, of course, there's premium versions, but everyone has to start somewhere. Um, But yeah, I think we need to really kind of go behind those initial questions and ask why something's free. And, and also the, the complete reverse of that, that some companies, uh, and um, it, it's more about some plagiarism software, I'm not going to say which ones, that um, that some, some companies have been there for so long that actually they have a monopoly and they can they feel that they, they overcharge some people. Like in education, they've got a grip because there's not a lot of other alternatives out there and that's just as bad. And, it's, and, and I totally agree with both sides of the coin that yeah. actually there needs to be a reason uh, of, of why is it costing so much but also why is it potentially free and what are the different angles to go from? Um, and, and, and let's be honest, nothing is free in this world. Exactly. And if it is free, sometimes it's too good to be true. You have to kind of look behind that. Yes. Yes. Well, um, I think 
<laughs> I don't want to say it again, Steve. I don't want to say it again, but I'm going to say it again. Steve's favourite phrase. Um, we could talk all night, I think. I think there's loads of different things we could develop and, and go into, and we're really grateful for your time. We don't want to take um, to, to, uh, any longer, really, but we're, we're grateful for your ideas and what you're doing and, and, and the work that you're doing. So thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Um, and, and for those people who want to get involved with ThingLink, what's the best way to uh, to to do that? Go to thinglink.com forward slash edu, um, sign up, um, and then you'll be able to access your account. Um, and yeah, or just get in touch with us at BET. Um, we will be running some promotional offers. And true to our principles, we have some swag, which is all sustainable and purposeful. Um, there might be cupcakes. <laughs> but um, yeah, come and speak to us. We're on Twitter um, at thinglink or thinglink um, underscore edu ula's account my account just would be happy to meet up with people in person if not just get in touch with us and i bet we're going to be with class vr this time so you'll find us from the class vr stand before we go louise can i can i can i ask the last question yes as part of the agreement with coming on board did you ask if you could write your own uh, title <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. Okay. It, it looks it looks like so as if you've written it down and just hand sent it on email and said, "Can I have this, please?" It, it, it is literally so <laughs> you. Yes. Who is saying yes? It was it was a collaboration. <laughs> sorry, sorry, I did go there. Sorry, I apologise for that. But it, it's so Louise Jones that title. It, 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 it's even more Louise Jones, and actually the words are Louise Jones. So. <laughs> Um, I just wanted to ask that question. Sorry. Oh, you do make me giggle. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Well, thank, thanks again for coming on. Um, we look forward. To, I'm sure that we'll be uh, we'll be talking again in the future um, about things that you're developing and, uh, and and how we can we can partner together. So thank you so much for your time. Thank, thank you so you. much. Thank you. Been an okay. absolute pleasure.